Welcome everybody and you're not here by chance because no one who comes to hear this talk is and you've all got a piece of the picture I think of the puzzle. First of all can I just ask you who actually has read the book all the way through? Okay not everyone. Actually I usually find about three quarters or more have so that's about half. I know well this is the problem you see because the book is written as a thriller but behind it is a lot so okay that the next question is and you're having to do some of the work for me because then I can see where I need to go how many of you actually saw the debunking I will call it right thank you and now we're going a little wider again I need to have this because it it fits in very well how many of you actually been to any of the grail sites I'm talking of any of the ones that you think of might maybe associated with Arthur Pendragon and also with the Cathar and the Ben the Chateau site. Just stick your hand up if you've been to any of them. I'm sure you have. Yeah, everybody. Okay. Everybody, you've all been there. So this is both so I'm now going to separate and say who has been to the sites here? We're talking anything like Glastonbury, Cornwall and Scotland and all of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Put your and and now can I ask you about particularly France, if you've been to the sites in France. Okay, good. Because so many people will talk about something that they haven't seen and actually to see it with your eyes is a very different story sometimes from actually just hearing about it. Now I don't have slides and that's deliberate because if I had I think they confuse the picture making you look at something but I will be using this board in a minute. So okay how many people, maybe three more questions, <laughs> are familiar with the Arthurian legends as such? with any of the writers from Geoffrey de Monmouth, Robert de Boron, Christian de Troy, you know, all of those different ones, okay? Most of you, yeah. So, and again, how many have read The Holy Blood, Holy Grail um, by Henry Lincoln, Michael Bajant, and the old good everybody, fine, okay. So that was my Bible, because uh, I first came across that in 1982 when it was first published. You need to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do some of the work in a minute. Oh, well, I don't know. Um, okay, now, probably not so many here. How many of you may be familiar with Roslyn Chapel and its history? Oh, good. Excellent. Well done. Good. I have talked about it before, I know. Um, right, that's it. And so what I would say, and this is where I'm going, it's like the preface to all of this, because so much of this is concerned with, they call it the Da Vinci Code, but it's actually the Grail Code which is behind the whole story. Now I'm familiar, having been married to a Hungarian, with the words behind the words behind the words. My father was a newspaper man, brought me up to know that what you read isn't always what it's about. You have to know how it goes backwards. And if you particularly are a French scholar, you will know that many of the words are deliberately evasive with double meanings and so on. And Hungary is just about the worst because in the Hungarian Revolution apparently one of the reasons they were able to get that together was because they set out certain things for the people who understood the same way of presenting it was to the Hungarian psyche so they knew where to meet and what was going to happen. They sent out another message on the World Service for the Americans and the West and another one which would appeal to the Russians and it was all the same message but three in one if you like. So I'm looking always for the underground stream, the thing that's <coughs> behind it, what stands behind it. It's like I've got a 
secret mentality here somewhere, some little inner guide that points in the right direction. Because the Da Vinci Code is exactly that. It is a code. And there are so many twists and turns in a typical thriller that you can lose sight of the real message by simply following the clues. Because it could be leading you down, like all thrillers, down a blind alley. And it is about the Grail, and it is about Jesus, and it is about Mary Magdalene. The royal bloodline, sacred geometry is in there, the role of the church, and the historical and actual truth of the biblical events. Now many books are incorporated within this very clever book, as indeed are many researchers by eminent spiritual and secular authorities. Please don't forget, I know I'm speaking often spiritually, but don't forget the secular authorities, they do have their place. So let's deal with the story in the light of the program revisited. So I'm going to cut to the chase and say the last bit in the book says, the quest for the Holy Grail and the quest to kneel before the bones of Mary Magdalene a journey to pray at the feet of the outcast one, the one throughout history who has been so maligned and made to be objectionable in the eyes of many and has never received her rightful place. I believe that today we are in the process of beginning to initiate her back into her rightful place as she actually initiated Arthur. So, all right. This is the basis of the TV story, and I'm going to go through this as quickly as I can because many of you have seen it. But do remember that if you have done any work on this at all, you will know that the people who were actually speaking about it, these historians, I haven't heard of them. Have any of you? The ones who spoke on the TV thing with Tony Robinson, I don't even know who they are. And I've read just about every book on this. So I don't know where they dug them up. So we go back to the beginning and it says, a cup. Mary Magdalene is holding a cup. Or is it? In the Last Supper, we look at the Da Vinci particular reason it's called that is the Last Supper painting of the Da Vinci. Is this a 2,000 year old secret? Who is in the picture, the painting? We have to look at that one. So is the marriage of Mary and Jesus actual? Is it presented in the Bible? Is it a fact? Or is it simply a wishful thinking? What about the Catholic Church? How do they come in? Where are they suppressed? Why is it that Mary... Why do we have her becoming a prostitute? She was the one closest to Jesus. Why is she a prostitute? Is that simply to malign her? Or is it to malign him for associating with her? I'm to look at that. So if this is the case, then it seems that the whole of the Catholic Church is founded on a lie if it is true about Jesus and Mary's relationship. Now, the Templars did receive certain secret and esoteric knowledge and I could spend two or three hours at least on giving you backgrounds to all of that but please take it from me that the name has altered the most important thing is probably the symbol and I'm actually wearing that symbol I'm not allowed to wear the bigger one which is like a Maltese cross and symbols are very 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 important 
I've just spent time with somebody who was a messenger from the Hopi Indians and he was saying we have to release our imprisoned psyche from this and he showed how it was done through the flag and he's been given special teaching from the Hopis in order to break this consciousness so that we can take away the imprisoning value of our thoughts and what we've been taught so we can come clean as Krishnamurti said truth is a pathless land but then we get to the chalice of Mary Magdalene suddenly it's an alabaster cup which is discovered in a place at Hawkstone Manor now okay maybe it is a, an alabaster jar but we have many things from the Roman period it's interesting it's discovered in Hawkstone Park Hawk of course in the, again if you go back is always considered to be the messenger Horus the hawk headed god and we can go right through the hawk is the messenger so is that a clue and that's why it was put in his work and then we get at the other one which is the alabaster jar that is actually in Seville in the church so people take symbols people take artifacts and they make them into something if you look at every religion that's been done and we have done that too the chalice but the chalice is a cup is it possible so then we go on to the stories the Count de Graal which is from Christian de Troy and then we go to the story of Percival and the Hallows now this is particularly significant to Britain it links up with Arthur it links up with the story of remember in uh, Shakespeare where you have the procession you have also the Grail procession and the four hallows of Britain are the spear, the sword, the cup and the dish and, a, and or rather the spear is a lance and then we get the lance we get Lancelot we get Lancelot is actually Lance du lac but the word and let me tell you this, this is another thing where the Brittany side comes in the actual priestesses of the area were called the priestesses of the it comes from Aquitaine Ax, Del Ax, A-C-Q-S is to do with the waters that's why you get the Lady of the Lake and it got corrupted to Vivian Del Ax became Vivian of the Lake and then the Lance of the Lake and the, what she holds is again symbolic now so you keep going back and back and back and then it turns out that there was a line of the Aquitaine and the, of the waters who and it came, goes into the four suits of the playing cards but it also goes into the, the um, four suits of the tarot so you see all these things are interwoven and anyone who's studied all these esoteric sides will know what this actually means that brings me on to the blood the blood which is is it Saint Réal the Saint Réal in French is the Saint Réal the true blood the royal blood is that or is it simply the Saint Grail which is simply the Grail but in German the word Graal is for a dish and in that story it is the severed head that is in the dish which sounds pretty horrific but it's to do with the head of John the Baptist so there are all these things to put in <laughs> but the blood is of course now we're coming into what is it that we know a lot more now about the DNA so they didn't they glossed over all of this in I'm going through Tony Robinson's but then we have the holy blood and the holy grail now I 
must refer to this book. I don't know if any of you have seen this book. It's called Les Sentiers des Dieux, which is about the standing stones, and it's by this man who has done a new analysis, and he's actually a Welshman, Neil Hudson, and I have met him, he's an extraordinary man, he's done everything through geometrical progression, and he's proved various things with all his numbers, and when it actually starts, he gave us a talk, and I got this book, which I've been told you get for ages, and I thought it was in French, but it's not in English, um, but the number of pages, and the number of pages in the Da Vinci Code are exact, and there's a deliberate thing for that. Clues are all over the place for where you find things on certain pages. Anyone who knows about the Francis Bacon Research Trust and goes there will know the same thing, that Francis Bacon and Shakespeare put certain things on a certain page number deliberately encoded so that you would be able to understand what it really was about if you were seriously looking. Right, so he covers... Michael Bajant, yeah, Michael Bajant, you saw him, he was interviewed. I hadn't seen him before, I've been going to meet him about four or five times because he comes regularly to Scotland, but I actually haven't done, although my friend does a research thing for him. Now, his name, if you look at it, is very significant in the book by Dan Brown. Come back to that. Then we come to Montségur, go over that, and... I'll come back to that. Okay, now I'm going to just write on the board all these different people because I think we need to have an understanding of what their names are. So, if I do this as I go along, first person you meet in this is Robert Langdon. Now, I don't know how many of you remember what he did, but he was working on goddess worship. So... I don't know if you're going to read it, it's going to take for ages. Maybe I'll just tell you each one and I'll write it. The next person we meet is Jacques Saunier. He's the one who gets murdered in the book, so he doesn't appear except at the very beginning. And he's lying on the floor in, this is how it comes to be Saint, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, in a circle, in the style of the Vitruvian man that Leonardo did. That was a clue. Jacques Saunier, but there's another thing about Jacques Saunier. What does that name come as a significance to anybody? Saunier the priest. Berenguer Saunier of Rennes Chateau, who became very wealthy, <coughs> supposedly found special things in Rennes Chateau. Right, so all these names have something. Um, Jacques Collet, he's the policeman. I won't take any no anything about him. Silas, who is Opus Dei, the albino. And that's interesting. Albinos, at this particular time, were considered to be very, very dangerous because they weren't like the rest of us. And they also, um, you know, it, people could say, oh yes, you're actually putting separate somebody. But that was the thinking in those days. They were run out of town years ago. Anyone who looked different because you were either the angelic form or you were transformed into this deliberately to be a focal point and run out. So they have to make him albino to make you notice that. Right. Um, then you come into the teacher. And the teacher, remember, his name is Lee Tebbing. Now, if you look at that carefully, you might see that there's an anagram in that. Dan Brown's fond of anagrams. 
Remember who wrote The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail? It wasn't just Henry Lincoln. Lincoln. It was Richard Lee and Michael Vagent. And if you look at that, that spells Vagent. So he's trying to say what these people are saying is okay. He hasn't touched Henry Lincoln. Now we have to know who Robert Langdon is. I'm not saying, but there's a possibility I might know. I, th I don't think this is accidental in any way at all, but it's like you have to weed out all the clues. Now who's the next one? Oh yes, there's, oh this is another one. The head of the police is called Bezu Fache. Does that ring any bells? Yes, correct. And is he? If you've read the book, he is angry. But Bezu is the Templar Tower that overlooks La Valdure in Rennes de Chateau. Bezu is the high point where it is believed certain things were also discovered. So he knows a lot. So if you get the clues, you'll begin to see how they fit in. Then there's Arch, uh, then there's Bishop, and I always have this right, Aringarosa, Aringarosa. Do you remember the whole story of Alberto Calvi, P2, being discovered, hung under Blackfriars Bridge? Mm -hmm. And do you remember it was actually Archbishop Martinkus who was involved in that, and Licio Gelli. I better not say too much. This sort of thing has happened before. It happened in the TS. Strange things went on. We had two windows slam while I was doing this talk. Ooh. <laughs> it's like the natural world or somebody knows. So this is all to do with money. He has to do with money. And the whole of the junk bond thing, anyone who comes from America will know that the junk bond thing was a scam done by the Vatican. Um, again they're supposedly tied up with the CIA and the Mafia so basically Dan Brown is trying to say that all these people are having a part but he's giving them different names but that's why I say it's important to decode and I'm doing a different kind of decoding right and then you get of course the Sophie never right Sophie is obviously obviously Sophie which is Sophia who mean, that means the goddess Sophia is the goddess wisdom and she is the counterpart of um, in the Eastern Orthodox Sophia is you know Hagia Sophia in Istanbul is the place of um, the Mary but is it which Mary are we talking about and then we go on to oh yes this one we mustn't forget Remy Legaduc but if we translate that slightly and call it René le Duc, Saint-Rémy was the anointer of the kings of France. And Saint-Rémy is where the file of the blood is kept. Legaladuc is like the duke, it's royal. So a lot of these names have many, many meanings. I believe he wove those in deliberately to give us the clues. So that's one thing. Now, I haven't put everyone in, but those are the main ones. Now, of course, the Knights Templar are in there, but we'll come back to that because the names aren't in there. But now let's look at all these places. Well, we get the Louvre. And the Louvre is very significant because 
the pyramid in the uh, how many have been to the Louvre? anyone? yes you've seen the glass pyramid now Dan Brown says there are 666 panes of glass in that now I'm not certain that that's accurately right but I'm willing to suspend disbelief and think it's pretty close but there's also in the underground part again the underground stream there is another pyramid the pyramid inverse so it's reversed so we get the pyramid like that that's the big one in the square which if you look at it from above becomes a symbolic thing and then underneath you've got the small pyramid which he talks about which goes that way and if you take the two ideas then you will get Star of David which is what we're all working with and the Davidic bloodline as above so below as within so without right next one we need to look at is the Saint-Sulpice do you remember that Saint-Sulpice is the big church that is mentioned in the book but it is also the church that Berenguer Saunier in the story of Rennes Chateau went to where his money was supposedly he, he met people there now Saint-Sulpice is an extraordinary church I don't know if anyone's been in there but the one thing that struck me is that over the altar and I must admit I was there in the early 80s so I haven't been back to see it since but I don't suppose it's moved but over the altar which is very deliberately the energy is very very high it's like it's one of the highest of the places and it's in the sacred geometry connection as well it's very significant but above it there is a picture that looks like Mary the mother of Jesus being taken into the clouds and when I looked at that carefully I thought I don't think that's Mary the mother of Jesus at all I think it's Mary Magdalene I find this fascinating because it links up I, I let it go you know but things come back to you and these things happen in San Sulpice and that's when Sunier became very wealthy after he'd linked up with the people who were there so that is where the keystone is and Sister Sandrine looks after it and when Silas goes in to do his homage and steal the keystone he actually has to kill her so he's like the, the agent of the bad guys who are wanting to destroy evidence and keep the secrets within the Vatican. We then get this other one, which I like, and I think this is something we will all know. If you go anywhere to any of the churches, you will see roses all over the place, especially in Rosalind Chapel. There are roses all over there are also other symbols but okay we could say it's the Rosicrucian but it's actually sub rosa which means under the rose anything that was discussed that was secret remember oh golly golly your name is in here Sean Connery was in the name of the rose you remember that it was all about what was in what was hidden the name of the rose the secret so there we go compass rose the name of the of the ship the cruel sea. We then go into the, oh, well, I'm not going to write it, but you'll remember, the Depository Bank of Zurich. And you know that much that is pertaining to our world is hidden in that bank. And remember, if you read the book, how many places they had to go through so that they had 
could get the little uh, artifact that Jacques Saunier, who is the grandfather of Sophie Nouveau, had deposited there for the secret, for the key. And that's all about the key. You see, now the key is the key to something secret as a rule. You, you lock things up in there. People wear keys, the key to my heart. It is supposed also that within the heart there is a tiny, tiny opening which is often called the key. The keyhole, there. That's why you see it when you have uh, come to St. Valentine's Day and things like that. You get this, this the, the key to open to my heart. And it's supposedly having some kind of significance but the key is also the keystone in the arch which in both Masonic and Templar symbolism is the thing that holds it up it's the it's when you come across the arches you have to have a central point to which all the others are fixed take that away and the building collapses and if you can find where the keystone is you will presumably get something in Rosalind Chapel you will find if you walk in there and you don't know because your mind is absolutely blown by all the different green men and all the different stories but when you look at the central pillar as you walk in through the door and the main door you will see if you look up the, like about the arches each one having stars and um, the roses and then you look up and you think what's that and it looks like an arrow and it's pointing down and some say that that is where the secret's in the floor Equally, in many places, that you will have something that seems to indicate where it is. And the thing is, we do look, but we don't look with the eyes of people who might have looked differently in the Middle Ages. They would look at things of the, of the mechanics of it, of how it was built, because they would know it was representing the human condition. Because the idea of the rough man having to have the corners rubbed off to get to the smooth man is represented in Templar tradition by the two stones that are on the altar. So that is really quite important um, to know these little rituals actually mask sometimes something much deeper. So those basically, and the Depository Bank of Zurich. Oh yeah, I'd better put Zurich down because Zurich is in Switzerland. Switzerland is Sion, Sion. And uh, Sion, of course, is to do with Mount Zion and it is also to do with go to the hills. And it's connected to the Old Testament. So there are many, many little clues. You have to keep weaving in and out to see what's what. So the Bank of Zurich is called the Gnomes of Zurich, again implying that the gnomes are the little people. It's kind of going back into Wagnerian symbology of uh, the ring cycle that things are hidden in the ground the underground stream if you go to a place in France called La oh, name skips me um, it's the place of the underground stream where Proust and a lot of the French writers were extraordinarily esoteric and they put it in their poetry and they put it in their writings and in their plays like they say Mozart hid a lot of symbolism in the magic flute so all that's happened here in Dan's book is that he's actually put these little clues for us to jump through so I'll have totally confused you now haven't I sure I have where do we go from here right well I went and I, I've kind of pursued this many different ways symbol my guidance told me when I went down to South America because I was asking what are we to here to find it said it will be done by symbol and myth 
Now why? Symbols are extremely important because if you can't communicate with people and you don't speak their language you can explain something to them with symbol. It's very easy. Everybody understands when I just draw the very badly the, the six-pointed star. You know what that means. You immediately say, oh yeah, it's the Star of David. Or it's the two triangles intercepted, joined up. If I say to you, the Nazi swastika, you will all immediately have a picture of it. You will know. But I bet you, and I'm not good at this, you probably might get it the wrong way around because if you got it the other way around, you would get an ancient symbol which Egyptian didn't mean what the Nazis wanted it to mean. So, turning symbols round distorts it. So what's happened in many of our traditions and things that we've been told, the truth is in there somewhere, but the symbol has become distorted. For instance, the wheel in the, the trifos, for instance, the symbol of the Isle of Man, with the three legs, are important could be Trinity, could also be actual promontories. In Scotland we have three and that one is St Ninian's in Galloway, the other one is Findhorn, it's all to do with Horn, and the other one is Kinghorn. So Whithorn, Findhorn and Kinghorn. Right now, so why am I looking at these symbols? Because all the way through you have to keep looking at the words behind the words and we'll come to this in a minute because of Vitruvian Man. Poseidon's trident. Everybody loves this one. Um, the devil's pitchfork on Halloween, yeah? Well, it's really Poseidon's trident. The triple again. Then we get the Venus pentacle. Becomes the sign of the devil. Again, if you turn it round. So if you get... But you know, the five-pointed star is with the point up. And the... Like that. And you have to draw it a certain way. You have to draw it right and because according to the um, Druids if you do it wrong you're taking the left hand path but you can easily take the same symbol with the one point up pointing to the sky and turn it around and it can become the devil with the two horns or is it the devil because there's also the two horns in Rosalind Chapel you will see Moses with two horns you will see angels with two horns but it's about wisdom the wisdom coming from the wisdom places. So all the way through, and remember, wisdom means Sophia. Sophie, in the book, the Sophia, or the Shekinah. Right, I'm coming to all of this, because I'm trying to get you to think around all these things. Look at what the US has done with their five-pointed star everywhere on their symbols of war. They put it on all their planes and their everything else. This is the pentacle of Venus, the pentagon, all the things that were supposed to be the good, beautiful and uh, feminine have suddenly become distorted and become the morrigan, become, the, become the, the, the death goddess. I really resent that actually. So Vitruvian man is the man like this. And Jacques Saunier, before he's killed by Silas the Albino from Opus Dei, and I'll, we'll see to why he was killed in a minute, but has no way of being either guardian of a secret. And it was said that there were four. And to get them, get rid of these men, then you could put, the church could put their own stuff on top of it. And there was always a Grand Master, Jacques Saunier in the book is this Grand Master. So they killed the other three, 
and they have to get him and Silas who has done his work well he believes kills him in the Louvre and before he is killed he has sent a message to Robert Langdon because he just heard of him and Robert Langdon is the one who was the goddess worship he was doing a book on it all about the true feminine and the reunification of the understanding of the male-female balance harmony on all levels and we'll come to see who he really was in a minute but in order to give the clue the only person who could get this probably was his granddaughter whom he had brought up and protected whose name is Sophie Sophie bless her, Sophie Nuva Nuva could be Neville which is actually a corner of something hidden one the hidden one the hidden Sophia but she's also the new one who will bring it further forward that is really important and he's relying on her to get it because they used to play little games when she was young and he made little artifacts for her and she became a cryptographer so she understood the code so she's there and she gets hold of Robert Langdon who protects her in order to find out what is the message and when they look at this man there he is he's drawn a circle in his own blood and he's there transfixed in the picture of the Truvian man with his arms and everything there and on himself he has written well by the side I can't remember which it is because the other one is written on him no it's written around it is these numbers 13, 3, 2, 21, 1, 1, 8, 5. Now that doesn't mean anything, or does it? And they have a great deal of trouble trying to figure out what, 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 what is this about? It's a clue. Suddenly they say, oh my God, of course, Fibonacci's numbers. Because if you rearrange them all, it comes to 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, and you can go on because you always, you know, the, the Fibonacci sequence, which is in nature and in actuality represented in harmony. So when they find this, they then see other clues. Why is he doing this? What is the, the ruling of this? Why is he doing Da Vinci? Aha, must be Da Vinci the the thing where do we go for this well they have all sorts of things and they're pursued and they finally get hold of they find they think it must be the Mona Lisa is this the clue but in actual fact anyone who's read the Rennes Chateau books will know about the Virgin of the Rocks there's another clue in that with the anagrams so the 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 Pi, Robert Langdon has been teaching this to his family, the PHI is the perfect divine proportion that is in everything and it links up to the number of gold anyone who's been to the Rennes Chateau thing and knows about that knows that 681 is the number of all relationship that is harmonious and works and it's the number of gold remember Jesus said you shall come forth as gold he wasn't talking about this although this is half metal he was talking about gold the golden man the one who is the perfection who has been brought into this relationship harmoniously and therefore is at one with the universe and with himself and with his divine counterpart to become the wholeness of gold and that is something that the Templars understood as well which they studied well another little clue is the female symbolism because there was a pope a female pope and in the tarot cards 
in one of the ones in, I don't think it's the Marseille Pact, it's the um, um, Scapini deck which I have. And the second card, which is normally the, um, you get the magician, you get the fool, the magician, and then you get the papess, or the priestess, yes. And so, this is the female pope. Now, why not a female pope, for goodness sake? But, of course, only men were supposed to have the, um, the right to become excuse me, the pope. So, everything is an anagram. So, then we look at the Mona Lisa, which is said to become a possible self-portrait of Leonardo himself. He wasn't above, and they, none of them were, neither was Botticelli, who was a, one of the Grand Masters of the Priory of Zion, another little factor which I'm coming back to, and so was Leonardo da Vinci of the Priory of Zion. Who were the Priory of Zion? Well, the self-portrait idea, then Tony Robinson was saying, ah, oh, yes, but, um, you know, it could be that he was um, homosexual, and, uh, you know, we couldn't say that, so he would present himself like this. Well, it's possible, but I don't go along with that one. I go along with the idea that it is quite likely that because he was an initiate, he was putting feminine symbolism into his paintings. And we now begin to find out that Jesus was a feminist. Because, if you look at the Last Supper, and anyone who saw the Tony Robinson debunk will have seen that they went into, actually, it was the first time they actually looked at the artifact. And when the cameramen were looking at the Last Supper, one of the cameramen spontaneously said, Oh, that does look like a woman. The one who is leaning against Jesus is always having to be said that it was John. Was it? Very interesting the colours he's wearing, if that's the case, because they're the colours of Mary Magdalene. And why would Mary Magdalene not sit at the table? Because she was said to be the one who was his closest disciple, his closest followers. But of course she was a woman, so could, you know, we have to pretend it's somebody else. But I believe that it was put there and the sign of the M very significantly is what the two characters make if you look at the picture and the other thing that is, I hadn't noticed until I actually got a picture I got all these this old book which had the Louvre pictures in it and I got this one as well and then I saw it the hand that comes across from Peter is going like this against the throat in other words you shut up I'll kill you and I can always remember, because it's very pertinent to my own life, that when I came across the um, hidden gospel, and I can't remember, you may correct me, you may know which one it was, but it was one of the new, uh, the ones that came out, I think it was the gospel of Thomas, it might have been a Philip, but the, but the disciples were jealous, I think it was Thomas, that were, was jealous of Mary, because she was the one who was always there. And well, I haven't read that one, you see. Yes, that, yes. that is mainly taken up with Peter being jealous of Mary Magdalene. Right. Well, years and years and years ago, I had this actually physically on the tacking. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I've got to read that, you see, but I've always known this. Because if you think about it, this is the masculine element. Peter had his house open. He was the one who was doing, uh, he, he allowed Jesus and Mary and the others to meet in his house and therefore he thought, I'm the big chief and I should be being respected for this. And I can never forget reading in one of the books way back in California and he's saying to Jesus and Mary are talking and Mary is holding the floor and Peter's getting really annoyed and says to Jesus, Master, why do you let her dominate our conversation? Typical masculine thing, isn't it? And Jesus said, 
Peter, she has great wisdom, listen to her. Well, Peter never listened to anybody. And so he got angry and went out. And Mary and Jesus were left talking and Mary turned to Jesus and said, Master, why does he hate our sex so? And Jesus said, it is so written. Now where is it written? But he must have been quoting from something which goes back to the Jewish way. In other words, the woman was not supposed to be saying anything about it. But could also be the fact that she was a Benjamite. And the Benjamites were the ones of the tribes of Israel that were supposedly not so respected. And that was largely to do with the fact that if we go right back to Joseph and the cup that was put in, yeah. So much to say, isn't there? So then we go back to the numbers. And I said here that this book that I've got is interesting because the pages. Neil is mostly concerned with the idea that um, he's written about this and he says that the number that Bezu Fashe has on the telephone when he's calling, when he's trying to get hold of Sophie in the Louvre, her number is 454. And if you notice on the Da Vinci Code, go read your books, if you've got that one, it's number, the page numbers are 454. And if you notice about the other thing, it's also 454, is 9 and 5 is 14, and 1 and 4 is 5, and we're back to 5 again. It's all to do with this pentagram. But it's interesting, if you look at the page numbers and what's on it, you will see another clue. It just deepens the whole knowledge, and if you start looking into it, it's very fascinating. Right, now let's go on to the thing which I think is really, really at the crux of the whole matter. And now we're going to talk about something which Tony Robinson didn't even really touch on. We're now talking about the whole... Uh, I'm sorry, I've got something here with the anagrams. Oh, yes. I've got um, Isis, Amon Isis. I don't know why I've referred to... Oh, yes, Amon Isis. That's to do with Mona Lisa, an anagram of it. Isa, yes. Is Isa is Jesus. There's an island off the coast of Scotland, by the way, which is called Isa. And many of the others are called this. Iona is Io. Io, the goddess. Egyptian names and the Phoenicians came to our shores and carried all these different things especially in the southwest and in Cornwall for instance many of these names relate and we are supposed to be the sacred isle anyway now we go back what was the Priory of Zion about have you how many of you heard of that yes the Priory of Zion remember Zion what I said earlier it's Switzerland so you would think if you wanted to relate it it was to do with money well, in a way it is, because they were all apparently quite rich. But they were all pretty eminent, if you think about it. I mean, we're talking about Sandro Filippo of Botticelli. We're talking about Leonardo da Vinci. We're talking about Charles Nodier. We're talking about Robert Boyle. We're talking about uh, Claude Debussy. Exactly. I did. Thank you. And we're here. The Grand Master. Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, all these others, they all had some kind of thing. And they were all actually esotericists. They were not what they appeared to be on the surface, which is what's come down to us. We also get Jean Cocteau. Jean Cocteau was a great friend of Edith Piaf. And he was also 
producing the most amazing stuff. Have you ever been to France to a place called Les Bourges? And I just came across it totally by accident because it was so hot and we couldn't park anywhere. And I went down there and found this enormous cave. And inside, I said, do you want to go into the exhibition? And I couldn't walk up to the castle. It was just too hot and too tiring. So I thought, well, I'll go in the cool. And it was a cocktail. I don't know what you call it. All these pictures throughout history of all the... Uh, of Botticelli, of Leonardo, and all the greats projected onto these huge caves which they'd hollowed out. Michelangelo, all of it. It was astonishing. I kept thinking, wait a minute, what is all this about? That was long before this book came out, where you see all of this is about night, the night. And the chivalric code of the Grail Code is almost identical to the chivalric code of the Knights of the Round Table, the Arthurian code, and it is nearly almost exactly the grail chivalric code of the Templar order to which I belong, and I've, we came across it only just recently. I'm awfully sorry I haven't brought it down because there's so much stuff to carry, but if you read it word for word, it is almost also, as you know I've given a talk on the Cathars, it's almost the Cathar story. So it seems that this underground stream of wisdom and chivalric order was about the protection of the weak and the love between the man and the woman or the masculine and feminine, let's put it that way. And it was to be done through all levels. Mind, body and spirit. And don't forget body. Because we tend to want everything, you know, we put it up there if you think it's spiritual. This is not the case. So we're now going back to the fundamental question within this story about the hieroscamos. Now, I don't know if you know that word, so I'd better put it up here. That's what I wanted to do. It's spelt like this. H-I-E-R-O-S. Gamos. And it's equivalent in some ways, I suppose, to what they call in the Druidic and it's, it's, it's the great rite in the witchcraft. And it is the symbolic joining of a man and a woman in honour of their higher selves. And it is actually shown out and it would be called today, um, um, Alistair Crowley, who would be called as great sex rite. However, it was not just an orgiastic thing, although it may have been in the past, but it was symbolizing the union of the sky god and the earth mother, without which you would have a wasteland. Because if the actual invigoration of the land is not undertaken in the Arthurian story, you have a wasteland. To get the actual energy flowing correctly, there was time, especially in the higher orders in, in magically because you are inviting in the spirit of everything because the energy is in a total alignment therefore days had to be chosen rituals had to be undertaken it had to be exactly right full moon special time all these other things so what we're talking about here is the royal line the true bloodline. You often wonder when you go back to Egypt and you hear brother, sister, wife, and the other say, okay, keep it in the family. But it's um, to keep the truth of the royal blood 
pure because if it is adulterated and corrupted you will not have the purity of the child coming through now Dion Fortune knew this and so did many and in fact one of the things that has gone wrong she said and you read about this that indiscriminate promiscuous sexual relation without <laughs> adherence to the higher level produces the incubus which cannot it becomes ensouled it cannot come down full soul awareness and we've got a lot of this happening on the planet it's terribly serious I wish people would talk about it because if we are having children coming in they don't know who they are they don't know who their parents are well of course they don't because if you look at it on an esoteric level they're sitting uh, the way I see it it's like <coughs> this the, the one night stand the indiscriminate sex the people don't know what they're doing okay we all think how terrible we get AIDS and all of that but think of the souls that are now created on the thought form level that are sitting up there in the astral world not in full soul consciousness of embodiment to come down but are waiting for a sympathetic opportunity to find the parent that actually may be through drink, drugs or something else that they can come into now I may be talking out of my hat but I do believe that this is what's happening and that's why it was said in the Bible the sins of the fathers are visited on the children so we're now getting those who have no conscience who are not part of the grail code they don't know who they are they don't know where they're going and it takes an awful lot of healing to try to bring it back whereas if it was truly understood on the responsibility of the Hiroskamus and everybody recognizes that that is clear then we would have a race that was on a higher level and that is what we're referring to when we talk about the chalice and the blade the blade represented by the triangle with the point up and the chalice represented by the water so the fire is the masculine if you like and the feminine is the water and that is why Arthur his true companion was not Guinevere his true companion was Morgan Morgana the priestess because she was the carrier of the water and the priestess line he was the carrier of the sun energy <coughs> she was the carrier of the moon interestingly enough in the tarot cards they are presented that way we've got it all wrong half the time we think we can make choices in a way we can but in a way we can't so going back so the cipher for the virgin of the rocks which is the one of the, the important da Vinci go was that so dark the con of man I love that because it's a brilliant analogy of virgin of the rocks but the con of man you see it has a double meaning again because it is a con we've been conned basically Vinci Voot Grail Sophia Voot the heavenly vault and by the way companion in the Aramaic is meaning spouse so if she is the companion of the saver meaning Mary Magdalene she is actually the spouse of the saviour so what would be wrong if it was the case 
If she really was his wife, wouldn't she be there for him when he is taken from the tomb? Wouldn't she be the first to see him? What is so wrong with this if the bloodline went on? Why do we have to believe that he did this all alone? It's obvious he didn't. Anytime you start reading, there had to be others. The whole thing was very, very well orchestrated. How interesting that we're told, and I'm going away from Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code at the moment, but don't you think it's interesting? The number, the, the, the ointment that she holds in the alabaster jar, very, very expensive spikenard, only used for healing and higher thinking. What about the aloes that were used that were there to embalm him? My goodness, somebody said it would have cost the whole of Israel the amount that was had. She was not a, um, a poor woman. She was wealthy. And after his death, quote, possible or not, I can't make up my mind on that one, but I'm not going to say categorically, but I do find it interesting that Mary Magdalene and supposedly the other Mary, we're not sure which the other Mary was, was it Mary the mother of Jesus or was it Mary of Bethany or was there another Mary, came, yes, Thank you. <laughs> Couldn't think of it was. Come to Marseille, and they step ashore there, and Mary Magdalene is among her own people, because in the Rennes Chateau area, especially in the Languedoc, that was a Jewish settlement. In the French, it's actually called. I found an old book in French in Fintorn of, of all places, and it was called Le Cité du Chariot which is the city of the chariot or the city of the horse and the horse worship was there Epona, the horse goddess and so the whole secret of this is about the union of Mary and Jesus and if you look at all the symbols of the star of David you see the union of the masculine and feminine with the triangle of the fire and the water you see Solomon's seal the flower you get to the holy of the holies holy of holies in the in the numerological significance that is supposed to be number 20 it comes out at number 20 is judgment card in the tarot which when that is done leads to the final card which is the world when you have dominion over the world and the joining of Yahweh and the Shekinah now in every religion there is this union, this polarity which makes the earth work. The polarity of the king and the queen when it's perfect then that filters down and the people respect and honour that union which is why we're so fragmented when we only have male rulers. It doesn't work and because the people think well what, you know where is it? There is a move at the moment within the Catholic Church to reinstate um, the whole idea of Mary and the, and the Protestant church are taking it through as well because they recognize they need the divine feminine I mean all religions have this and it's got overbalanced if it goes either way and I'll tell you another reason the polarity is wrong 666 the number is actually the fire masculine out there element gone overboard 1080 is the moon number and if that has gone overboard that's bad too and the reason being if you get the masculine domination without the balance of the feminine do you know what you get? 
you get a Middle Eastern terrorist who actually has and I'm not saying all of them are like this but, but you get it out of control you get ruthlessness, you get rape, pillage, destruction um, blowing everything up if you get too much of the feminine so it's angled that way then you get madness the bogs, the, the, the flooding you get um, that kind of danger Vol not so much volcanic but underground eruptions and things like this because it isn't coming out to be balanced by the fire so we are living in dangerous times if we don't get this right we really are and anyone who has got any kind of esotoping knows that until you have the balance of the two which I can't add up the numbers properly again but nine, I should know it nine the number of the fanatics yes and nine was always the number that was how all the orders were started with nine but then nine is three 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 so if you think the triple the triple goddess but the triple goddess needs to be balanced by the triple god and if you go to places like the the um not the Louvre the um oh, my mind's going one of the chateaus in France that I always used to go to and I've forgotten the most important one on the Loire and you'll see there you've got the Venus there but she is with the three men she's with the youth with Pan she's with Apollo who is the, and she's with Zeus all three are there the Pantheon and she is the balancing female of it equally so you get the three graces, the three women and in the, we had it in um, the statue in Edinburgh in the art gallery and you have overlooking, overlighting it you have the God, the triple God but he's showing the, the, you know, the faces, the three faces it needs to be balanced at every level masculine and feminine according to the youth the, the middle age and the old so we need to honour each cycle properly with its complete balance well the truth doesn't the church does not want the truth out it would destroy it well why can't we go back to the Celtic church the Celtic church understood this that's where I come from I never thought of it being anything else until I started learning as everybody else did what you see and I will talk about this afterwards because we're going to have the break I think but this is about what happened at the council of Nicaea it's about what happened in three 20 something Anne probably knows better than I do yes when the 27 books of the Bible that were the ones to be selected by the priests were um, that Constantine who was not Christian he actually wanted to sort of take the main chance and his wife was sort of but they were becoming more powerful so he thought well if I can get in with them I'll keep my power too so he said to the priest well look um, we only want so many books let's take out the others I'll leave it to you so when we come back the key to the whole story as I've said I think it's the Heros Gammas the Priory of Zion yes they were the guardians of the Grail and the San Grail yes Constantine and the Council of Nicaea will talk about the sacred feminine and the Magdalene of the true foundation we've done the Last Supper but the last thing that Sophie says in this book was you do not find the Grail the Grail finds you. We just talked about Constantine and the Council of Nicaea and I think it was Jean's just gone off but she did mention it was 312 she said. She, I don't know I always get it wrong. Ah, that's what I said originally and you said, that's what I said 325 and she said 312 so it threw me away. Okay.
Uh huh. Well, that's right. Well, it's interesting that the film Constantine's just come up. Whether or not it is, it's just putting it in consciousness. It's a bit like um, the Harry Potter thing with um, Nicholas Flamel, who did the alchemical experiment on the 17th of January, when he found he apparently found the Book of Abraham the Jew, and he was also a Grand Master, and he was supposedly Dumbledore of Hogwarts. What, what um, century did Flamel live? Flamel was 13, I don't know, something like that. In the story, they're 600 and something years old. That's right, yes. So, yes, that would make it right. And, she's got, and so she's got it. But the thing that most people don't know is that going back to the actual female counterpart, Nicholas Flamel was helped by the Lady Purnell. Have you ever seen her mentioned? I'll bet you haven't. History is written by the victors. Is she? Well, there you are, you see. That, that. She knows. See, it comes out in the book, you see. Well, I haven't read Harry Potter, I must be honest. She's going to get mad at me. You haven't read the Da Vinci Code. No, no, no. Oh, well, okay. Angels and Demons, now that. I would agree with you. As a book, I agree with you. It's absolutely brilliant. And that's about the Jesuits. And the point is that he is actually, I believe, the mouthpiece of truth. But it's hidden. So, uh, going back to the whole idea of, we, we just came off the, the Hero's Gamut, and, but Opus Dei has been put in to destroy the documents that reveal the great deception and great con that we've been put through. In other words, there had to be a feminine side of this. This world could not operate if it didn't have it. But if you put it down so much, look at the Inquisition, look at the witches, look at the way that the feminine usefulness in the healing arts and how it was put down. And anybody who was a midwife or a person who used herbs and magical potions to heal was considered to be a witch and burned. And anybody who didn't go through the church, i.e. Joan of Arc, was burned as a heretic. And so it goes on through the Cathar heresy, which I've spoken about, I won't go into too much. Anybody who did not go along the orthodox path. And we are in danger in a more subtle way of being forced to go along the orthodox path now. And I think the more we can become the opposite and see the whole picture, the more likely we are to get eventually what we want. And there are more of us actually, I think, and they're, you know, we're, we're coming up there. Now the other thing is, in the Priory of Zion, now this is really important, and we're going to talk about the Templars here. The Priory, prayer is a Priory, P, it, it's, but it's also the word for prayer. And Zion is you will find me in Zion. I seem to remember somewhere in the Bible it says that. Now, they come through history in different, with different names. All these people who are said to be the Grand Masters of the Priory all had something outward, but they all had something esoteric as well. And they all presented, those who were writers or artists, presented sacred geometry, sacred sexuality and all sorts of things as above so below it was always about that through their writings or their their presentations and 
it's still happening today I was talking about Jean Cocteau so the truth of this protection is believed that the protection why was it there to protect the Grail family because the Grail family carry the true blood and the true line as above so below it's always been an effort to put down the one who is the truth bearer let's kill them because they might pass it on it's always been the same in all the myths and all the legends and all history get rid of the child as well I can remember playing in the Trojan women and the bearer of Astyanax the last of Hector's line was thrown over the walls to prevent him from becoming the next Hector it goes on in hundreds of examples so this time this cannot happen we've got to see truth and we've got to keep the truth lines now the church relies upon ritual to control the minds of the people I'll give you a little example about this how many of you have been to St Michael's Mount have you noticed the statue that's there um, that is on the wall the one that's recently done of St Michael and the devil well it shows St Michael as a young angel and he's slim and he has beautiful big wings but instead of him killing the dragon he's holding his sword up with a hilt like that and, with, and the devil is in black bronze beautiful again on his back with his wings down and he's going ah like I submit to the light is what it's saying but with his other hand St Michael is inviting him to join him so in other words the universe is neutral we need the balance of the light and the dark to be equal equal Isis is meaning equal equal well a man came I was sitting meditating there because I go there always on St Michael's Day and I was sitting there it wasn't that day it was another day um, in front of the statue and there was nobody much coming in and there was a man coming with his two sons who were about nine or ten and the man came in quite sprightly obviously holiday he said oh look there's St Michael killing the dragon and the boy said no daddy he's not killing the dragon and the man said, he, he is killing the dragon, look. And the, and the boy said, no, daddy, he's not killing the dragon. And I, I couldn't stand it anymore, so I thought, oh, shut up for two. And I said, excuse me, the man, but I have to tell you, your sons are right, take another look. And it shocked him, because he saw what he is used to seeing. He didn't see that the sword was being held up. It wasn't killing the dragon at all. So we've got to be so careful because symbolism is there but because we've been so conditioned that you see St. Michael and there's the devil and you've been told he kills the dragon so you think he does but the boys who haven't been conditioned said no he's not killing the dragon at all. Yes. Deliberately chosen because of the symbolism that carries. Perfect. And it was not, therefore, a sign of I won conquest, but it's a sort of blessing and it becomes a cross. Exactly, yes, it's a hill, it's a cross. He, he defeats Wilson. And then baptizes him. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, well, you see, this is all coming forward now. What, was it, what I find interesting is you've said that's a modern statue. Yes. Now, bearing in mind. Doesn't look like it, though. We are all conditioned to see in the modern world as it were the most natural thing is St. Michael killing the dragon I find it very very hopeful shall we say that a modern sculptor is able to get it into the church that we can see the truth of the well you see this is very interesting but remember Celtic Christianity it's not about killing 
Celtic Christianity was definitely about healing and it was definitely about balance. And that's the place, Cornwall was the place where it was very last. Actually, it never went into the Roman consciousness because by 988 Dunstan was still in operation and 1066 on comes the um, Norman Conquest and basically they don't go through it. They just carry on the same way and even now in St. Materiana's church, which I go to quite a lot in Tintagel, there was a celebrant man and woman. So this is about the truth of the Grail family. We need to know who Mary was. Now there are many books coming out. At the end of the Da Vinci Code it says, but how do we bring this out? And at the end it turns out that Sophie never, and you've just told it means descendant, she is a descendant of the Grail family, which is why her father, Jacques Sonier, her grandfather, Jacques Sonier, protected her, because she was the bearer of the Mary Magdalene line. And so he was the keeper and a member, if you like, of the Priory of Zion. And he was protecting her. But it was he who, as a Grand Master, engaged in the Hieros Garments with his wife, whom he left back in Roslyn while he had to go to protect Sophie over in um, Switzerland or where, wherever it was in France. Now the thing is that if you make an oath and you are part of the Priory and you are part of the Templars, you haven't any option. It's a lifetime oath. It's for God, I take that oath, for God and Scotland in my case it means that I don't have any option if we are called up to fight on the chivalric code for the right and I'm not talking about battle although women did engage and were involved it means I have to we stand up and say what we have to say we don't shut up and keep quiet like cringing violets that is the point we are prepared to stand up in all courts in all governments and anywhere else we're asked, we're asked to speak out and we will do it and if we take, take the consequences that is part of the oath now what, that's part of the chivalric code also because you gain nothing by keeping quiet in the face of injustice that is how we've got where we were and at the end of the day we have to look someone in the eyes and say our truth and that's what Rosalind Chapel's all about Rosalind Chapel was built by William Sinclair who was of Sinclair of the Orkney Sinclair the light and they carried the grail lineage it is believed and throughout Rosalind Chapel there it's a book in stone there are lots of green men it's about the life force which goes on throughout and there are three pillars there and the most famous one you've heard of is the um, ten, the apprentice pillar which everyone thinks is where the um, grail is hidden but we've had everything here if you think about it but the one thing that is missing in Rosalind Chapel today hang on to that for two seconds I want to say what was missing and then come back to it <clears throat> there was a very big cross up on the wall that led to the crypt when I first went there a long time ago it isn't there now since the chapel's been done because inside it was said to be the piece of the true cross that St. Margaret of Scotland brought with her <coughs> to Scotland the Holy Rood Holy Rood Palace yes the Holy Cross the Holy Rood and it's not there 
Now, I don't know, because I'm not privy to this, but I think it is actually, just as the stone of school, the stone of destiny, is hidden, I believe this is too, because I have seen it was there. I'll tell you what came through. Love, Lynn Sinclair, and Claire is clear. And it suddenly flashed across my mind that sin, which is, as have so many words which actually have a sacred meaning originally being corrupted and inverted, mm. and its original meaning is uh, the moon. The one moon. Right. Yes. So, yeah, the, the it's right. It's 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 Think wheels within wheels, but it's so easy to imagine and put together a connection where there is none, mm-hmm. or it's accidental, or there is none intended. I mean, mm-hmm. if we just take, say, the, 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 the nine basic numbers, one to nine, oh, well, my name's got nine letters in it, um, so has yours, therefore that means there's the connection, mm-hmm. yet there is absolutely no connection, intended, justified, or whatever. It's not even coincidence, it's just happenstance, like I've got size 10 feet, so have the two people in this room. Ah, that, that, I totally understand what you're saying, but I think we have to go deeper. Yeah, we have to go, I we, know what you're saying, we have yeah, to go Yeah, because there is, like that. almost anything into anything. I mean, if there yeah. are two people in this room with, say, size 10 feet, and I stand up, there are three of us. Wow. Well, we've never seen each other before, and the chances are we never will again. There is no connection in that fact. Do, do you see what I'm getting I see what you're saying, but I also think there's always a connection within everyone on a higher level. Mm-hmm. And one and one is all. Yes. May, maybe the law of one. The very fact that you're here is actually, uh-huh. to my mind, the law of one. Unity. But the point I'm trying to make is, whilst I don't disagree with a lot of what you say, there is a connection. You're saying there is a connection, whereas there is there is none in, in or you can take the opposite view that there is no connection it is just simply pure happenstance that three of us the western mind tends to do that actually and often I would like to say leave it open sometimes it may be a forced thing it doesn't go anywhere then you can drop it that's right and that I think you have to do as well I mean you can't not give totally stupid but the other time the words like Anne's just said I've forgotten that's absolutely right sin Claire, you see, in France, yes, yeah, so Claire de la Lune de Bussy, we, we just made that connection. I wouldn't have made that had it not been she said that. The other thing that's interesting is that um, going back to Sinclair, where did the Sinclairs come from? They were actually the Jarls, it was called, of Norway. You know, where do I begin? There is such a thing going on in Roslyn. This book has sparked five times the number of people. So if you go up to Roslyn coming May, it's not going to be possible for you to just go wandering around and do what you want to do because they're now thinking that they want special guides. And just let me tell you, and I'm going to be very forthright and I'll probably be in trouble if you... Good job it's here nowhere else. But Jim Monroe, who's a very good friend of mine, he's a top mason, has actually been more or less sabotaged 
from taking people around the chapel and showing them things that he's always done and he's a very esoteric man and he's done a lot of talks he doesn't go there anymore he used to be a regular communicant of Roslyn Chapel where I go sometimes there is a definite move to get rid of any knowledge about this and poo-poo it you should have seen the last thing in the grapevine yeah the church they're having a field day on this one so they're going to bring in all these people who really don't know anything about the history and they're just going to do the mainstream stuff you see but anyone who's got eyes to see let him see that's the way you have to look at Rosalind Chapel now the other thing is interestingly enough that the angels that there's a whole symbolism around the walls and the angels have scrolls which are open like that sometimes and then they have a book that's open sometimes they have a book that's closed and sometimes they have hair which looks like horns coming up like that and sometimes they have the green man coming along the front and it's all to say these are positions of different parts of ritual order which shows me this bit is only for the initiate this bit is open to everybody and so it goes on but it means nothing unless you understand that there is a, a ritual 